0: All right, we are back. It has been, we're about three days late. We had some stuff right, to do over yeah. the weekend. I spent the weekend in New York. Derek had.
1: I had my parents visiting from Texas.
0: Yeah, so we had to tend to those things. So, uh, But for the future, we are going to make an effort to record every Saturday, and you're going to get these episodes at least by Sunday morning. So we'll oh, record wow. on Saturday, and we'll make sure those things hit streaming platforms by Sunday morning at the latest. But anyway, with that, we're going to dive right in, because uh, me and Derek are trying to hit this iftar today, so uh, yes. first things first, let's, uh, let's get into some news. So yes. uh, it's been a relatively quiet week, nothing really controversial <clears throat> happening or whatever, but <laughs> okay, I might be lying, I don't know. Oh, hold up, what's happening here? Okay, we're good. Thought I messed up the sound, but anyway, let's just go ahead <laughs> okay. and dive right into it. Um, easy things first. So I wanted to briefly discuss President Nelson's Pacific tour. I don't know how much you know about this, but he basically spent uh, what was it, seven or nine days down hitting New Zealand and some other Polynesian mm-hmm, countries, right. just uh, just doing a little, just doing a little ministering. He spent quite a while down there. He did have an interesting warning before he left. He said, "Troubling times are ahead. Yeah. Be on the lookout for evils, including." drugs and pornography I thought that was interesting just because Mm -hmm. drugs and pornography that's nothing new it seems like every conference pornography gets mentioned at least once so I, I just thought there was a little bit of unnecessary ominousness to that because the headline when I initially read the story was President Nelson issues issues warning to the Maori people before he leaves on his specific tour but I'm just like well that's I mean, that's not exactly anything new. So I didn't, I didn't think much of it when I read it, but I did mm-hmm. think it was an interesting thing to warn people about. I don't know what he could be alluding to is basically what I'm getting to if there's anything more serious than the pornography and the drugs. Did you have any thoughts about that?
1: No, other than we have to be very careful, um, especially those of us who are white and American, To remember, we're not the only ones in the church, and Mm. the church isn't about us, and Jesus was not a white or American, Nope. and this church is not about being a white American, but so many of our missionaries end up being colonists where they go over and try to impose a particular culture Yep. um, that doesn't, it's not, yes, the gospel is true, but the culture is, is so different from place to place, and you can have a true gospel expression in any culture. And I think that's what we're missing in so many of these things um, with, the, with the Maori especially. Yeah. Um, and we have to be careful about this and how this looks and, and we need to listen to indigenous people and not assume we know what's best for them. Yeah, what's best for them,
0: yeah. Yeah, I agree. Along with that, uh, something that I was also reminded of is exactly how many, well not exactly, but approximately how many Polynesian people are LDS, you know. They're at least lot. have their name a lot. I think the last time I checked the statistic, it was like one in four or something absurd mm-hmm. uh, that were poly- that were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Not to forget about New Zealand's current prime minister, which is pretty significant. Did yeah. you? um, I don't know if you peeped uh, anything that talked about why she left the church. I the did. Pyramid? Yeah, as did I. So. Um, Something that was really interesting to me was, first of all, Jacinda is only, am I saying that right? I don't I know. I think so, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Apologies if not. I never heard like her name actually said in person. But anyway, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, she's only 37 years old, first off, 37 or 38. So she's, basic, she's a millennial, right. which is significant. She's right. also ranked number two on the world's best leaders, according to Forbes. Mm-hmm. She's second only behind right. Bill and Melinda Gates, so also pretty big. This woman has accomplished so much in her short time in office. For one thing, she gave birth to a child last year mm-hmm. while in office. Another thing she did was as soon as the mosque shooting happened, she almost immediately led some legis- legislation passed that effectively banned most weapons, but banned, banned most assault weapons. Another thing she did was bring in tech giants like Amazon, Google, Facebook, mm-hmm. YouTube, all these other folks that have that give people voices. And talked about Hate speech online and got them to sign this agreement. I forget what the agreement is and right. I didn't write it yeah. down But she basically got all these big companies to agree to do more right. about online hate speech, right. so basically this woman is a verified I Don't want to cuss or nothing, but she's she's a ba- She's a she's a boss like this woman is oh, a boss yeah, she is and um, I couldn't help but feel a little You know maybe this is the maybe this is the true blue Mormon in me but I almost felt kind of bad that we couldn't hold on to we couldn't hold on to her
1: yeah I feel bad about that too
0: yeah and basically and you know you might know a little bit more about this than I do but I remember you know reading why she left the LDS church and basically she left because or at least a big reason she left was because of the church's treatment of LGBTQ folks right, at the time right. that she left the church. She About was, 10 years ago. Yeah, like 10 years ago. Like, And that was a pretty significant time for LGBTQ folks in the church. Mm-hmm. And Not to say nothing of all the changes that have happened in terms of temperaments shifting on that particular topic, but... The fact that this was a big issue for her, the fact that she didn't feel like the church was acting in a Christ-like manner towards LGBTQ folks and therefore felt she had to leave or felt some kind of dissonance, you know, that hurt my soul a little bit as somebody who is still a believing member of the church and someone who simply believes that we don't have all the information on the church yet. Mm-hmm. I can't see where she's coming from, but that yeah. was a disappointing thing to hear.
1: And I just want to back up and say, like, if a person needs to leave the church for their own well-being or safety, that's one thing. But if you're leaving it on behalf of queer people, like, I haven't asked anyone to leave the church. I'd prefer if people can, if they're able to stay safely, to stay, because otherwise, um, all the people who could create change are no longer there. And, uh it really what what it does is is it, is it just gets rid of the problem rather than yeah. solves it like yeah. even if all the lgbtq people leave and their allies if they all just leave then it it makes it so easy to retain the status quo
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. and i want to talk about this one day like we don't got to talk about it today but it just yeah. really bothers me when people cite a reason they leave the church because is because of how the church treats people that look like me or people that love like you and i'm just like no, we are still here. I'm still here and I'm making it work. Especially if right. you're a straight white person and you use my struggle to explain why you're leaving, I'm just like I'm not okay with that personally. That really bugs me.
1: Right. Right. Especially be- the reason that they're leaving isn't to benefit people of color. They're leaving to re- to relieve their sense of guilt, I yeah. think. They're like I just can't handle being in a in a racist church anymore, so mm. I'm I'm just checking out. I'm like no. That's not. That doesn't actually help the people of color that are in the church. It just helps you feel better about your, uh, you know, cognitive arrangement.
0: It feels like these people are like letting go of the iron rod because of people in the great and spacious building. That's what it feels like. And then putting my people struggle in your mouth like that. That just, I don't know. That just really rubs me the wrong way. But again, topic for another day.
1: Yeah, we can talk about that again.
0: We can. We can.
1: Um, But I. I just want to back up and talk about. Uh, the LDS approach to women's leadership, because that's ah. a functional piece of this conversation too. Yes, because there's so yes. many. Because uh, uh, I President Nelson met with with uh, the prime minister and said, "Oh wow, I'm, it's so amazing that a, a woman can do these things." I'm like, "Where have you been?" You know, and and uh, I'm like, "Hello." Yeah, and I Where you think been? I mean I, he's 94. Like, right. I'm
0: gonna cut him a little bit of slack there.
1: Right, um, and it's true that that very few people have have, um, done this so young and have given birth in office and just doing all these things. So in a a sense, her leadership is slightly unlikely, but we should never underestimate uh, women or or any gender. Certainly, certainly.
0: Some of those things he brought up would likely not have been brought up if she had been a man, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, definitely a more careful... I want him to be more careful next time so yeah that was that was that whole thing you got anything else to say about uh, that visit no before we move on to the big piece of news yeah (laughs) yeah let's uh, let's talk about this I kind of want you to go first on this Derek cuz I kind of came ready to read this woman to filth but if you want to just
1: yeah let me go first yeah so what happened is uh, I don't know if you recall or if you're familiar with this but um, so McKenna Denson accused Joseph Bishop, who was her MTC president of a rape many years ago in the mid eighties. Um, and then she recently came into the news. Uh, she has a civil suit against the church, um, based, uh, based on this. And then what, what's recently come to ha- to light is, uh, Mike Norton.
0: Now, how did she, sorry, just to back up real quick for some of the listeners. Now, when did she come to prominence exactly? Like it was sometime last year, right? Like early last year? It was. And what, what was it?
1: What happened was a an audio recording of her speaking with um, a now elderly Joseph Bishop hmm. uh, was leaked or somehow put online. Yeah, it was on Mormon Leaks. I and um, he, he admits to some, it's it's unclear exactly, but he admits he to some indiscretions yeah, some of some nature. Sexual misconduct. Um, and he says he doesn't know exactly... Um, how many uh, women he's done this with and exactly yeah. what happened. But anyway, so this uh, set off a big thing and then eventually was revealed that McKenna uh, was the was the survivor in this case. Mm-hmm. And then um, Mike Norton helped her in a number of ways, including going into Joseph Bishop's ward meeting And confronting him during fast and testimony meeting, and um, and that's uh, that's kind of where where Mike got into this whole piece.
0: And uh, that was uh, September of last year, right? September of last year when they went to the sacrament meeting, when they crashed the sacrament meeting.
1: I don't remember exactly when, but yeah, it was a number of months ago. So it was
0: like so. Just to back up, it was early last year when the tape when the audio leaked to uh, Mormon Leaks or whatever, and then it was several months later when, I guess, Denson and Mike Norton made each other's acquaintance and then crashed the sacrament meeting, right?
1: Right. Okay. I'm not sure exactly when, but it was, okay. it was, a, it was a while back. Okay. Um, then Then recently, Mike Norton, uh, post, well, just yesterday, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> posted a very long video um, where he... Uh, recounts so many things that he finds highly suspicious about her and mm. his conclusion is that she has made up most or all of everything that she has uh, she has done There's there were some recent attacks on her uh, yeah. in January yeah. which aroused the suspicion of so many in the ex-Mormon community oh can I just back up and say something about yeah. the ex-Mormon world while I'm thinking about it
0: Let, let's say something about them
1: what I've noticed is that part, most of what's problematic about the ex-Mormon community is also what they didn't leave behind and brought with them from yes, the Mormon Yes, from the church. Community. Yes. Yes, and so many, So let me tell you, as a convert, I can see them both because I was not raised with a Mormon culture or a Mormon psychology, yeah. and I see this psychology and culture kept uncritically when people become ex-Mormon, mm-hmm. and they, they throw off one thing, and it's really they're just Mormons in a di- different direction. Yeah, um, it's issues around hero worship, mm-hmm. in issues around black and white, all or nothing thinking. Yeah. issues around um, uh, just the sort of the infallibility of one's leaders, mm-hmm. um, a tribalism, and an enthusiastic evangelism.
0: A lack of transparency.
1: Right, um, and especially uh, an inability to handle complexity. And so the ex-Mormon community, they're going to find out that all their leaders have flaws Mm -hmm. and like, well, where have you been with the, you know, you should (laughs) have learned that when you were LDS. (laughs) But now, I mean, they're going to, and then they end up in the equivalent of a faith crisis. When, when John DeLynn or Jeremy Reynolds or Mike Norton does something really stupid or or problematic, it puts their people, their followers in a very significant crisis because then it, then, it, then it just really has. They have to juggle all this stuff, and there's so much trauma, which is real. Yeah. But it in, it's it's uh, and it, we, here we have a similar thing too, where we have uh, two people in the ex Mormon world, McKenna and and Mike Norton, both have now uh, caused a lot of of trauma for the ex Mormon world. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's now. Let's go back into. Uh, so yeah. And the other thing is I was able to speak on the phone with McKenna Denson today. Dude. For about 40 minutes.
0: I am ready for this.
1: What did y'all talk about? Well... I I really want to (laughs) know. Okay. and So so what we talked about was um, uh, one thing I wanted to do was sort of express my compassion for her and to be Christ-like in my uh, engagement with her. Okay. Right? And um, I wanted to be as the... Uh, epistle of James says be quick to listen and slow to speak Um, and I so the summary is I I really don't know what's going on because when she spoke she sounded credible she Uh sounded like she had a case Um, she sounded like someone who deserves to be heard Mm. Um, and it's, it's difficult to, to know to what extent she's been given an unfair deal by Mike Norton in mm-hmm. this case. Um, and I just wanted to to sort of be, a, be present with her and ask her a few questions about this experience. Um, and one thing that both of us agreed on was to center um, survivors as a whole because one of the big fallouts of this is what it does – to All of the survivors of yeah. sexual assault. Yeah in terms of diminishing their credibility. Yes, or diminishing their uh, Ability to, to go and, and make reports and be believed. Yeah, so we will have a much lower reporting rate. We will have um, a much uh, More difficult time at dealing with abuse in the church and in our society all because of the way um, Mike Norton handled this yeah and and the other thing is, McKenna admitted um, that, that she made a number of mistakes. She did. And she has made a number of mistakes over her life. And, and it's and it's, it's complicated because I don't want to get into the black and white thinking of, oh, she's a good person or, oh, she's a bad person, because it's a mess. And he, humans yeah. are complicated, and that's what I told her. Indeed. And there's the, the issue of hurt people hurt people. Um. And there may be some of that going on. There is also the issue of people who are sexual predators actually choose the people who are unstable and unreliable and who've already had a history of making false ac- accusations mm. knowing that they can get away with it, knowing that, look, I can do this to you and no one will believe you. Yeah. And those are the people that they intentionally pick. So, of course, she's not in a spot that looks really good. No, she's not. And I, I don't know... What to believe or what not to believe? I it's it, especially after talking to her, I really feel like like there's something we should listen to, but I I am not there, so I can't be an expert on what happened. I am not. What I can do is be an expert on the scriptures, yeah. and that's what I'm going to bring in. Is um, I love how Deuteronomy chapter. Well, first of all, you've got Exodus 20 and the, and the Ten Commandments. Of course, one is Thou shalt not bear false witness, which is very much a judicial and legal um a uh, piece of okay. of, of uh, the torah but there's also in deuteronomy chapter 19 what happens when you have false witnesses and a lot of people don't realize this but deuteronomy 19 says that if someone is exposed as a false witness you should do to them what they were going would have done to the the person they accused basically so ba- if you accuse someone of a capital crime and turns out you're false then then you should be put to death if you accuse someone of something that uh, the penalty is a fine then you have to pay that fine so that's basically what happens okay and of course the uh, Torah is very clear that in the mouth of two or three witnesses uh, should something be be done you cannot convict on the basis of just one. Witness, which is also another complicating thing because Joseph Bishop himself has a number of accusers has a number of uh, incriminating things about him including what he admitted in his own uh, Recording right right and like
0: he admitted to you know sexual indiscretion,
1: right? Um, McKenna and I uh, and I do have her permission to say these things i don't think she knew i was going to talk about this in a podcast i said if there's anything you need to keep confidential let me know and i won't talk about it but she did we did talk about um her diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder and the the role that that may play in some of these things she says that she's unable to remember uh some of these uh, allegations like she doesn't remember at all whether or not she uh Faked having cancer in order to fundraise, um, and she she didn't say she knows she didn't do that. She said, "Well, maybe I did it. I just don't remember." Hmm. And it, that's things like this make it so complicated. Yeah. Um, I did ask her about her ac- uh, allegations about the one or two black men. Uh, who there were
0: many, like there was at least five cases where she basically said a black man either tried to assault or rape me. Yeah. And that was like the biggest deal for me for obvious reasons. But, you know, I mean, like racism is much deeper than mental illness. First off, like before there's this one story my friend was telling me about how when his when his grandmother like had dementia, her mind forgot just about everything, family members and stuff, but did not forget the N-word and was like calling. Right. Like, yeah. So, like, that, that is, like, a big deal to me, the fact that whether or not, you know, those incidents actually happened to her. I mean, I think uh, I think in uh, Norton's video, McKenna did admit to doing some of those things, but the fact that every man, like, in, like, five of these cases was a black male that was doing this to her, that really messed with me. Like, that, that was that PTSD bit I was talking to you about before the show. Right. It, like, we were just talking about this last week, why I don't mess with white women or why I have such right. fear around white women generally speaking it's because of stuff like this people like McKenna Denson so well yeah talk of course, about that of so. course
1: what she's gonna what she said is that um, well that's the way that's the way it happened mm-hmm. and that she was in South Carolina where there are a lot of black men and that just has happened to that's how, who it happened to be.
0: I still do not buy that. Well, I, I really you don't, don't have buy to. That.
1: You don't, if you want to talk to her, maybe she'll talk to you. But, I might but, talk to her. But what she did say, and I think this piece is important, because I asked her, I said, well, you, this is, you know, in this particular situation, you weren't able to to, to, to identify them. For, for sure, you just said it's two black men. Like, what would you do if you had gone to trial and, and you know, an innocent black man was... was She what she said was she would never identify uh, a suspect in a lineup. She would never do that unless she were one hundred percent confident that that's who it was. Jeez, man. That's what she said. I mean, I, I. I mean, that's
0: fine and everything. Just the the primary reason this is so suspect to me is because the chances that all the incidents of assault or attempted rape or actual rape that happened to her, the fact that they were all by black men and that the chances
1: Joseph Bishop.
0: Well, yeah, Joseph Bishop, like one out of like six incidents. You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, like statistically speaking, her chances of being, you know, assaulted or being violated at all by a black man over a white man are just so much slimmer than actually, are mm. just
1: significantly slimmer. Yeah, I don't, we didn't get into, um, like the statistical piece of it because I didn't know how many, uh, um, of these allegations were against black men versus white men. We didn't there talk about that. There was at least five of them. At least but five. But anyway, of them. Uh, what it does, though, is it plays into this larger realm of, oh, this this allegation will be believable in a racist society, which whether or not it's true, that's the that's the larger th- piece that goes into Because mm-hmm. people will think, oh, this is the stereotype, and this is, you know, um, we need to, to do something about that. And yeah, it's it's tough. Um, mm-hmm. it's one really of, tough. one of the things she did say is uh, that she was surprised that all this stuff just blew up this way because she said this dossi- the dossier about all of her her criminal and legal history has been out there and people know her name and people have it's been out there and she's surprised that Mike is now framing all these things against her. Um, And she said, I've already admitted the things that I've done wrong. I've already um, owned up to everything that I've done. Um,
0: But the fact that Mike Norton is doing it is pretty significant.
1: It is. Because,
0: I mean, this was somebody that was her friend. This is not somebody that's like trying to like smear her character because it's devastating to their case, which is why I don't believe people took too seriously um, or rather went after the church when they compiled that dossier. It was because... You know, they thought it was a smear campaign as opposed to Mike Norton, who doesn't really seem to have anything mm-hmm. to gain from this other than perhaps writing his wrong of befriending her or being slightly complicit in the effect that she's had on both Joseph and Greg Bishop or on the public in general. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, right. it seems more significant that this came from somebody who was so gung ho about Denson one day right. and then not gung ho about her like the day after, you know what I'm
1: well, saying? Well, it's yeah, clearly clearly Mike Norton has changed his mind about her. Right, and that's a big deal. And it is it is a big deal, but on the other hand, um, McKenna's point was if she had if she had the time and bandwidth to explain it to him and to explain it to the world, it would make it would people would see the justice in her case and she would be vindicated eventually. Right. I'm um, mm. just reporting what she said. No, I, I get. It. I can't tell you. I, I wasn't there. I myself, um, a- am torn. on On the one hand, of uh, the idea of oh, we should believe women, and then yes, uh, and I think, especially, um, in terms of of where we start out, we should right. Mm-hmm. We should take every allegation seriously. We should investigate them. Um, we. Uh, should try to get at the truth. We, we should realize that not, um, that the number of false allegations is very low and mm-hmm. the number of uh, true allegations that don't get reported is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's complicated because, well, it's just a big mess. It's a big mess on <laughs> on all sides. And there's no yeah, one can, yeah. that's, that's perfectly squeaky clean and perfectly woke and perfectly knowledgeable of these things yeah um and and and, you know we're all we're all human and this is gets back to like the focus should be on not so much mckenna's reputation or mike norton's reputation but on survivors as a whole Mm -hmm. because this is that's who's really impacted and there many survivors are really re-traumatized by this um exposure of McKenna in this particular way because now then it delegitimizes their stories. Yeah. yeah. And um sets back the movement for uh, for justice in our culture quite quite significantly. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: as well as the cause of, you know, whatever you want to say the cause of Ex Mormons is, uh sets that back as well.
1: Right. Um so that's mostly what we what we talked about. Okay. I, I,
0: yeah, I mean, all I want to get out here is basically what happened yesterday. Like, just to just to recap what happened yesterday exactly. Mike Norton, who pretty much rose to ex Mormon infamy when he posted posted temple ordinances videos of those things to YouTube. What he did yesterday, after you know having a friendship with McKenna, was basically put out one 42 minute video, in essence, detailing a bunch of things mm-hmm. about McKenna Denson, a bunch of crimes she's committed or other questionable things she has done or claimed and another 15-minute video of his conversation with McKenna where McKenna does acknowledge that she's made some of these mistakes, but also where Mike basically just cusses her out the whole time. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. Um, and we should put it on the record that what that two wrongs don't make a right. And no Absolutely. matter how Mike was hurt or personally uh, betrayed or what he said to her is not at all justified. No. And it, and it no. ties into tropes around misogyny and the abuse of women Absolutely. And, and the male entitlement to, to a certain behavior from women. It's it's what he did was not at all okay. And the idea of, of, oh, I can now use my straight white male privilege to say, oops, I messed up and let's move on. Yeah. no. That's that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, you don't get to say, you don't get to do these awful things um, which which traumatized uh, so many people yeah, and man. then just say, Oh, I'm I I apologize for that, I realize what I said was wrong. Yeah, but that doesn't help.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like you gotta do better than that. Like mm-hmm. Mike Norton needs some therapy and he needs some mm-hmm. needs something else.
1: And the other thing McKenna said is that what this does she still has an outstanding case against the church uh legal case
0: that's right, like March of next year at the earliest, I think is when that is going to go to trial the fraud case right, yes, the fraud okay. case,
1: and she said that her attorney now is very reluctant to proceed with the trial because <laughs> you think it will be difficult to to win yeah um, and and yeah, and I think uh and it's uh. Yeah, it is a it is a very, very difficult situation that everyone's in.
0: Indeed, indeed. So this is what Mike Norton, again, like I think I made this implicitly clear by now, but I'm just going to say it. I don't particularly care for this guy. Like I'm still very much an active believing Mormon and some of the things that he does with regard to the Mormon church, I just feel are straight up wrong and make a mockery mm-hmm. of the faith in, in an unacceptable way. I'm cool if you got issues with my faith I'm cool if you got issues with the church I'm not okay if you engage in this kind I don't even know what to call what Mike Norton does like some of the things he does are just straight up childish and other things are just straight up disrespectful which I don't care for you can make an academic case against the church against any of our truth claims or anything else but like I don't like what Mike Norton does as a member of the church I don't like the guy as a person I don't respect the guy just this is Mm -hmm. or at least Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say as a person I don't like the guy either because what he did yesterday I can admit was like if it was the right thing to do if what he had to say was true that took some balls and I want to give credit where credit is due but this man as you already pointed out there's a lot of misogyny that needs to be unpacked there like to tell a woman that you would shoot her between the eyes or punch her in the nose inexcusable like Mm -hmm. you can't do stuff like that
1: yeah, and this goes back to another issue of, about both the Mormon and the ex-Mormon communities. They're 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 really just kind of two sides of the same coin. They just they're playing the same game. They just now are switch teams the other side, mm-hmm. and it has to do with instead of actual thought, they're thinking with labels and categories, yeah. and not getting at the truth. We as yes. saints, people in the
0: church do this too. I should people, make that clear.
1: Yeah. So so what they there's so many Mormons do this. They're like instead of actually evaluating something and saying, let's get out the truth, they'll, they'll say, is this pro-church or anti-church? And then the thinking's done. If, if this argument, no matter how flawed it is, supports the church, they somehow believe it. Yeah. And if the argument um, challenges the church in any way, they don't believe it. Instead of evaluating these things on their merits. And it's the same thing in the ex-Mormon world. Like So many people came out cheering on McKenna, not because they evaluated the case, but because it was damaging to the church. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and then same thing with, it, yeah, it's just the same mental framework, just a, oriented in the opposite direction. Yep. And neither one of those is authentic to doctrinal Mormonism. G, Joseph Smith taught, you know, you have to question. We started yeah. with questions as a restoration. That like, is which, how
0: it started. That is how the whole thing started. And,
1: and that we should seek after truth wherever it is and, you know, um, and, and just whatever is, is uh, trustworthy, honest, virtuous, you know, a good report, all those things. That's what we seek. We seek after these things. Yeah. And we don't just be satisfied with um, very sloppy apologetic work um, that will never sustain any deep uh, converted faith. Um, and so and it, it's a similar thing is so many of these people have just left the church and not left behind all of the problematic things that they inherited from the the culture that they were born in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like they yeah it's it's just baffling to me how they can uh, how they can persist in in these framework uh, frames of mind that are so problematic mm.
0: definitely so. Just for the sake of time, I guess we'll just put uh, if the videos are still up, we'll go ahead and put the copy or a link to those videos in the show notes. But basically in the 42-minute video, um, Mike Norton accuses Denson of taking money under false pretenses, harming herself to bring lawsuits against several companies, and also says that she's been tried or convicted for identity theft, DUI, shoplifting, and we've already talked about this final claim, the one that like is the biggest deal to me, has made a lot of false claims of assault or rape all at the hands of black men. So he basically shares his personal feelings as well as these allegations and makes claims that he has evidence to back up all of what he says. He says you can email him, you can comment on his YouTube video, you can call him, and uh, he would more than freely share uh, that evidence with you guys. But uh, again, we'll put the video in the show notes and you guys can look at it for yourself, come to your own conclusions. As Derek said, Always be asking questions. Seek the truth.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I, I'm not going to say, well, I know that she's telling the truth. And I'm, I'm not going to say that I know she's not telling the truth. I, I really don't think it's it's fair to say either of those right now. There's some larger things to t- to think about. And there's some, some judgment that needs to be reserved. And the truth is going to be more complex than just the black or white, all or nothing, well, yeah. she's good or bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's all I had. Okay,
0: that's all I got to. Like, I mean, I was ready to read the woman of filth, but I'm glad you spoke first, because, you know, I might we have been have less to compassionate. be
1: Christ-like, because, <sighs> because what, what matters most hard, is our Derek. character in the end. That's hard, right? Derek. <laughs> no, you're right though. You're
0: right though. And right. Uh, I,
1: I thought to myself, how would, what, how would Christ treat her? Um, and what he would do is, um, receive her as a, a member of the human family.
0: And she deserves that. She is entitled to that. I yeah. will not knock that at all. I will not knock that at all.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so Let's moving
0: just, on. We'll go ahead and move on to uh, this week's Come Follow Me. Um, I really like this lesson. But one thing definitely stood out to me more than more than others. I focused a lot on Matthew 22 and 23. I know you've mm-hmm. heard me talk about these a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But because that was in this week's lesson, I'm going to talk about it again, and I'm going to—I'm just going to go through it. I don't know if you want to go first or if you got other stuff you want to talk about, but I just want to let you know I'm talking about Matthew 22 and 23. Okay, I have, I'll be talking about other things, so you can go first. I will go first. Dope. So, Matthew 22 and 23. There's a couple things I want to highlight here. I, I talk about my interest in their juxtaposition all the time, but before I get to that, I really want to highlight the— uh, An exercise in the manual that I really appreciate now the exercise given in the manual tells us to make a list of several different commandments and to connect them to the first and second great commandments now the first and second great commandments are mentioned at the end of Matthew 22 and uh, the manual says tie things like the law of tithing or the law of chastity or the word of wisdom tie find a way to tie those back to the first and second great commandments. Mm -hmm. find a way to tie the Ten Commandments back to the first and second great commandment uh, a long time ago, a general authority actually did this and talked about how the first five commandments or something like that are honoring God, the next five are honoring your fellow man. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I did think that was a worthwhile exercise mm-hmm. in doing because it really helps you keep in perspective how you are keeping the covenants. Last week or two weeks ago, um, I want to point out how you, Derek, spoke of the importance of performing the checklist items of church membership with the proper mindset. You said, in essence, that we miss the point of the covenants we make and the commandments we keep if we forget the love of God and our fellow man in the process. And that really resonated with me personally. I think it resonates with a lot of our listeners, a lot of members of the church. What I wanted to highlight, though, is the juxtaposition of the end of Matthew 22 with Matthew 23. Sorry, did you want to say something about that real quick?
1: Well I I, wanted, I love this principle and uh, of summing up everything in the two great commandments, which: it's great. Paul does also in Romans chapter 13, he sums them up in just the one love, uh, love your neighbors yourself." And what's really peculiar for our straight supremacist friends is they have a hard time taking their interpretation of, of the law of chastity and making it fit into those two because the oh, love I'm between two men <laughs> the love between two men or two women doesn't hurt God and it doesn't hurt neighbor. Mm -hmm. It's exactly morally indistinguishable from straight relationships, except through some artificial, um, like ritual, um, imaginary and artificial, uh, uh, arbitrary division. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's except for bigotry, there is no difference. Mm. Um, which, which is really interesting to, to hear people say, Oh, we're going to need some big doctrinal change. Like, no, we don't. I mean we need to understand it's not doctrine. <laughs> we need to understand our doctrine differently. Correct. But what but to say that we need some big Earth-shattering thing is to say that that gay relationships are a different kind of relationship than the straight They're not mm. They're They're it's not in any sense a different kind of relationship It's not yeah. like I'm marrying an elephant or something <laughs> where you would need a revelation to, 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 to do something so surprising yeah. It's the same love. It's the same commitment It's literally the same thing mm. with the only difference is sue is superficial, mm-hmm. right? um some some you know the lord looks on the heart not on the on the outward things and and literally people are just focusing on the anatomy and saying that is actually morally significant and it's not no it's not so let's go back to what you were saying yeah
0: and i'll just tag out the end of that that there's genuinely nothing in the scriptures that makes a case for anatomical complementarity which is just right. ridiculous in the first place but we can talk about that another time uh what i wanted to talk about again was the juxtaposition of the end of Matthew 22 with the rest of Matthew 23 Mm -hmm. Matthew 23 is very unique in that we see a lot of exclamation points which and this is why we see all those exclamation points we see we see Jesus Christ crying woes upon the scribes Pharisees and hypocrites and what Mm -hmm. is their crime let's read I should have pulled this up earlier (laughs) I'm gonna just thumb through this real quick so, we're going to be in Matthew 23. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 24, 23 13, and 23 15. Now, if the Savior has ever been indignant during his sojourn in mortality, he was definitely indignant in Matthew 23. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that, but more so fi- fascinated by why he was indignant, which brings me to these particular verses. Again, we are in Matthew 23. And we're going to start in 23 through 25. Why is Jesus mad? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and, I can't pronounce this, anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So, significant. Moving on, verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation mark, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation mark, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more of a child of hell than yourselves. Ooh, get him, Jesus. Jesus get him jesus mm-hmm. so like the reason i point out the savior's anger is because you you don't really see it anywhere else which is pretty significant considering all the bs that jesus has dealt with during his sojourn in mortality mm-hmm. like around jesus you can whine you can lie you can shift your loyalties like judas you can be late you can be greedy you can be too ambitious like the Sons of Thunder. You can be stupid. You can be coward. You can be a hypocrite. You can fall asleep at all the wrong moments like the apostles did. You can... Oh, my gosh. Like, you can you can do everything mm-hmm. wrong, and it doesn't seem to offend
1: Jesus. Right. You can crucify him, and he'll forgive you. You can crucify the dude. You can crucify yeah. the dude, and he will say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right.
0: Like... We don't see exclamation marks in those instances, is the point I'm getting at. And, and, and like, but, but you look and you consider what the teachers of the law and Pharisees, quote unquote, you consider what they did. They transformed God's law into a justification for denying God's love to people. So I believe it's safe to assume that the top of Jesus's crap list, I wrote something else here. (laughs) The top of Jesus's crap list are those who, in his own name, set themselves up as, as sanctimonious judges of others. So, like, that is what I really get from Matthew 23, is that the people that anger Jesus, like, really make him mad. Aren't these... Like aren't these other people like the people who make him most angry I honestly believe because of this chapter are people who use his law to say you don't belong here who use his law to say you are not entitled to God's love and where I liken that to the LGBTQ struggle I mean there's there's obviously ties in there I don't feel and I have not found sufficient evidence that the law of God disqualifies anybody particularly in this case LGBTQ folks from from receiving God's love, I don't believe that I, I believe that some of the greatest sinning we are doing right now as a church is taking God's mm-hmm. law and saying that that does not apply to members of the, that members of the LGBTQ community. Just last week, if you remember, we talked about marriage in the Come Follow Me student manual. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the verses that they cited to make a case for traditional family, Derek? Do you remember do. those verses? Yeah. Let me just briefly recap those verses. They were all about divorce. It was basically Jesus reciting the Old Testament law, Old Testament law of marriage, which says nothing about homosexuality. But they want you to believe that homosexuality is bad, or at least homosexual relationships are bad because of that video that followed. And we already talked about that video in the last episode, but the Mm -hmm. whole point of that video was that church members believe that members of the LGBTQ community are not entitled to an authentic life. That is our belief. But we can be agreeable about our disagreement with the rest of society about that. So, to me, unacceptable. But... That is our that might be one of our greatest sins right now as a church
1: yeah I think that yeah that is the one of our biggest mistakes uh, and it will be seen uh, as one of our biggest mistakes yeah, probably man. since Mountain Meadows massacre dude um, is the treatment of LGBTs
0: mm-hmm I, I'm I'm done though. Like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna pour a lot of time into this, and I probably don't want to talk about anything else in this chapter or in this lesson. So
1: yeah. Um, what,
0: what, what 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 you got, Derek?
1: Well, what I what I'm gonna do is talk about Luke chapter 19, and okay. this is the um, the story of Zacchaeus. Okay. He's a short dude? So yay, I'm represented. There's the dude on the tree, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and part of the historical context is that the we, we We either see the word publican or tax collector, and what what this really is is a tribute extortioner because we have to remember that Rome was occupying um, Judea and exacting them tribute, which went back to Rome. So this wasn't paying taxes like Bernie Sanders where we all pay in and we get cool stuff. yeah, this was you pay and it goes to Rome, okay, which is not tax. I mean it is is tribute. And so this ex- is exactly why the this dude ex- the, extorted tribute, basically. The he cool, he's he's Jewish, okay. Um, uh, and uh, I guess how I know he was Jewish? Because God, uh, Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. We know he's Jewish and cooperating with the Romans, and that's why he was in the tree, and and, and that's, that's why he that's, was at a distance. And That's <laughs> why the publicans were so hated by the people, um, because they were they weren't just like oh. Taxes it's no you are cooperating with the enemy. You are betraying your people uh, For your own personal benefit mm. and that's and he, so that's what we have to realize is going on So okay. he actually hurt and oppressed people and let's talk about the concept of reparations because here Jesus is so beautifully Legitimizes the concept of reparations because, I like
0: reparations.
1: Yes, I, I support reparations. Yes, and uh, so does Jesus so does Jesus and he's and so Zacchaeus is the one who promises, uh, "I will give half my stuff to the poor, and anything that I've defrauded anyone, I will repay them four times," mm. and that's reparations. Okay. Um. And I and I think it's only after Zacchaeus's con- confession of making reparations does Jesus say, "Today salvation has come to this household." Mm. And I think that is just so beautiful that that Jesus supports reparations, and obviously I think we've got something going on here in the American context um, with the uh, reparations, which for um, that the U.S. government should pay towards the descendants of enslaved people. Hmm. Uh, it, I'm not saying white people should pay reparations. <laughs> I, I'm saying all of us who pay taxes, yeah. of all races. Um, pay debt to the government, and it's the government's fault for systemic and legalized uh, oppression of, of people of color, especially yes. um, people of African descent. And so we have to, to think about this. And there's a lot of people think, well, we don't need reparations. We just need, we're all like on a level playing field now, and we just got to get with. pro I'm like, no, because wealth is generational resource and education are generational and inherited. And if you set people up in the 19th century and during Jim Crow with unfair uh, advantages, their descendants are going to be um, held back Mm -hmm. or privileged by the wealth, the education, the uh, opportunities that they've inherited. And so the harm, yeah, no one here... uh, did the original harm, but we benefit from it and we perpetuate it by not uh, acknowledging that. And I would love to see, I don't know what it would look like, but a case for reparations in the United States.
0: If I could just not pay taxes for the rest of my life, I would be totally happy with that. (laughs) I just don't want to pay taxes.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. Um, So, yeah, we have to think about it. And I'd I'd love to, to bring this back to so many people who... Now, I, I actually consider myself th- relatively conservative theologically. Like, okay. I believe these things. I have a passionate view that that these scriptures are teaching us the true things. And it's kind of like Rachel Held Evans and saying, well, what frame of mind do you, do you go at it with a, a, a prejudice of love or one of, of restriction and, and cruelty? Mm-hmm. And here's what I do. People say, "Well, we don't we don't need reparations because private charity of, of giving handouts from people and churches that will take care of everything." Like, no, the Bible teaches in Leviticus chapter twenty five, the rule. This is in the midst of the holiness code, uh, the law of the jubilee. And hmm. here's what the jubilee is: every fifty years, you basically get re- you know a reset and reparations, hmm. because this testifies that. the reality that advantage is generational and if you don't reset it you um you will have perpetual injustice Mm. so what happened is um people who were enslaved went free people who were in debt had their debts uh forgiven people who sold their land to someone else because they needed the money they get their land back and for them in the ancient world land really was was wealth that was your um true property not so much cash and getting your land back uh, enabled you to have financial um, stability in, in, a, in a way that is very, very important. So so And people's families got the land back um, every 50 years. There was a year of Jubilee, and I think that is so beautiful because the people who originally sold the land 40 years before, they're gone, right? Mm-hmm. It's the descendants who will either benefit or um, – have a disadvantage because of what their ancestors did. And the Bible says, look, you're going to do the Jubilee anyway. I'm <laughs> like, hello, we need reparations. Yeah. Reparations are biblical. It's mm-hmm. not because I'm a liberal. I'm really not liberal theologically. Because um, I think there's room for woke conservatives. Certainly. There's room for people to say there needs to be a conservative path towards LGBT equality. There needs to be a conservative path towards um Anti-racism and anti-misogyny all these other things because it can't just be the liberals doing doing these things It needs to be everyone doing them and there needs to be a way that they can do them authentically
0: There has to be Um, because it's of God that we'd be anti-racist anti-misogynistic
1: So that's basically my point any I guess you've given your thoughts on reparations
0: Yeah, I have I have Um, The only thing I wanted to point out in this story is once again give a shout out to sister Eubank cuz she cited this story as well in essence, to say that one of the reasons that he was up in this tree was because he didn't feel like he could get that close to the Savior without people you know, throwing a fit at him or whatever, mm-hmm. but Jesus still welcomed him in. Right. Very similar to the way that you you know, welcomed in or gave audience to McKenna Denson, mm-hmm. despite what most people are probably thinking about her right now. Um, I just thought that was a beautiful thing that she pointed out was that Jesus was always looking on the outside for who he could bring in. Mm-hmm. And in this particular case, mm-hmm. He found, you know, this tax collector, not tax collector, what we call him, tribute extortioner. Yes. And he brought him in and
1: gave him an opportunity to receive a blessing at his feet. And that's what I love about um, the biblical values, especially the Hebrew prophets teach uh, restorative justice and transformative justice. Yeah. And that's really what happened is because he's trying to put the relationships right again and make things right. Uh, Zacchaeus is, right he's trying to set things right and that's why Jesus said you know salvation has come to this household today yeah like you are a son of Abraham and basically restoring him to wholeness mm-hmm. and restoring the people um, who were victimized to wholeness again mm-hmm. not only to wholeness but to a fourfold yeah uh, compensation for what they had been lost I mean this is Jesus I mean like I just love Jesus. It's just so amazing. He says everything. That's why we're here. <laughs> we're here because we love Jesus. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, and let me just say one more thing real briefly about yeah, the uh, triumphal entry. This is the Palm Sunday narrative, Jesus marching into Jerusalem on a donkey. One of the things that that, that I want to connect it to uh, is, is basically that whole incident or drama is kind of like a gay pride parade okay yeah. say yeah. more so, so it literally <laughs> is a parade but what it's doing is it's a uh, almost a parody of what the roman emperor would do when they were uh victorious okay the roman would emperor would come on a war horse everyone would praise him everyone would just shout their acclamation to him um and he would just ride into this city that he had conquered and and basically claim dignity and claim affirmation and claim like I'm this cool thing and what Jesus does is very much a parody instead of riding in on a war horse he rides in on a donkey Yeah, and just really almost making fun of the Roman imperial system and saying look we've got dignity on our own terms Mm -hmm. is really important uh, in fact, this is one of the incidents that ended up uh, tumbling the way towards his crucifixion. Mm. Uh, this was right uh, right at that time. And, yeah, and so it's it's not—the the analogy, it doesn't need to be perfect, right? I'm not making a historical claim. What I am is likening the scriptures unto myself, and I have every right to do that. And mm-hmm. to me, it reminds me of how I feel when I'm at a gay pride parade— um and I'm like, Yeah, that's cool. So Jesus knows how to, to make it an entrance. People who say <laughs> that that Jesus that if you're a Christian you should always be respectful and like quiet and like staying in your own lane. Like this is the exact opposite of staying in your own lane. You're mm-hmm. riding in to Jerusalem Claiming to be the Messiah. That is more provocative. He's than claiming
0: the, his space. It is. That's what yeah. he's doing.
1: Right.
0: He knows he belongs there. He knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So he claims mm-hmm. that space. Yep. That's really cool, Derek. I never looked at it like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad you said that. Okay. Pride parade. <laughs> That's what it is. It's a parade. <laughs> Yay. Jesus out here. All right. Anything else you got from the Come Follow Me? No. All right. Then let's go ahead and briefly do this prayer roll business. I will go first briefly okay. i don't have too much i want to say about this because the story has already blown up over social media if you follow anything on black twitter or anything black related you, you definitely seen this story there was a story that broke about um some some rather unfortunate racism at the boston museum of fine arts Now, i also want to say i feel a little closer to this issue because The teacher in this account is actually in my singles ward. Uh, Her name's Marvelyn. And if you feel to do so, please reach out to her because I don't, no one should have to go through this and I really want to make sure that justice is brought to these kids and at the very least, that they receive some emotional support. I don't know too much what she's going through right now, but any words of encouragement that can be offered would be appreciated. Mm -hmm. But basically what happened at this museum what, what was it? No shirt, no shoes, no watermelon? What was it?
1: <laughs> it was no food, no
0: drinks, no watermelon. Yes, no food, no drinks, no watermelon, they said to these kids. Now, Marvelin's class is basically all kids of color, a lot of black and Latino kids. Now, she was taking these kids through the museum tour, or through the museum, and she was watching her kids get followed, watching her kids get reprimanded for things that white children were doing in the museum, and also... Rude behavior from both the security, the staff, and also other patrons. So after that experience, you know, she obviously went to social media. That's how I originally got the news. That got a lot of steam, a lot of posts, a lot of retweets and stuff like that. The, The rub, though, was that the museum took a while to apologize and what's and what's more was they didn't even do a real apology. They said they were going to investigate themselves, which is something I'm all too accustomed to police saying about themselves when they kill an unarmed black person is that they are going to investigate themselves for this thing that happened. It's not really something I can take in good faith. Not really something I believe anybody should take in good faith. And we don't really know still, like it's about it's been over a week since this this incident. And we don't know what kind of justice or comfort is going to be brought to these children or what the Boston MFA is going to do to rectify this incident or to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But this is just all too common of an occurrence across the nation where we watch things like this happen to black children or things like this happen to black people in general and then watch not enough get done about this. Police brutality has been an issue in this country since the days of the black codes. But even to this day, not enough is being done to rectify it. Like there's no institutional changes in our country with regard to police brutality. We haven't made any significant changes. And by and large, over the last two or three years anyway, we've seen the killing of several unarmed black men, like over 100, over 200, And we've seen only one or perhaps two of these cops get convicted of any crimes. Mm -hmm. And again, these are unarmed black men being shot under dubious circumstances. So this is all too common of an occurrence and this whole thing that happened at the Boston MFA is just my personal most recent reminder of that. And it's unfortunate. So pray for America, pray for the Boston MFA. I personally won't Mm -hmm. be patronizing them anytime soon until they make strides toward, not only a better museum experience, but give a better apology to these kids. Because the best they could do at that time was give them free passes to go into the MFA again. And I'm just like, why would they want to come back to the museum? Like, what guarantee do they have of, of, a, of a better experience?
1: Right, well, um, the one thing I want to say about this is yes, the larger um, piece around where Who's entitled to the MFA and where should black people be? And I think part of what's going on in the security people's uh, mind is, oh, these are black people and they're like like not supposed to be here. Or there's something that this isn't for them or that they're just visiting here and it's not really it doesn't belong to them. And I think yeah. if, if the MFA felt like, oh, we belong to black people, mm-hmm. they would have a very different attitude. From top to bottom around training, around apologizing, around like what they do. And for part of the the, going back to this whole generational mess is for so long, the higher arts have been claimed by white people in this country. And um,
0: and that's why it's such a big deal when we see black principal ballerinas and stuff like that.
1: And. And I'm like, we've got to rethink, like, this art should be for everyone and we should make it accessible and not just like, oh, you you need to come and see what white people have done. But like, no, we need to lift up. And I don't want to, I know you're not happy with the MFA, but I, and I don't want to defend them exactly. Boy, what are you about to say? (laughs) What you about to say? Um. I don't want to say like well at least they're trying there? but but some of the things they've done a lot of this stuff in the uh, involved yes how did you know tip yeah um, did they, American yeah did well the African American artists on yeah, yeah. and so mm-hmm. so the so the problem is yeah see we've got to build on <laughs> 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 the African exhibit these kids I mean, were in the African well, exhibit they, maybe we're looking for things from Wakanda oh gosh. But but yeah, there's. But what I'm saying is, not that not, not that we should give them a pass for trying. But what we can do is is hold them accountable to what they're claiming to. That's kind of what I'm saying. I is see. Hold them accountable to what they're they're claiming their values are because they're saying we want to do these things. We want to make the museum free on MLK and on Juneteenth. We want to do these things. We want to have programming around. These things we want to bring in black artists, and Mm -hmm. which I've gone, I've gone to their things where they've brought in black artists to talk about their art and and talk about their experience. I'm like, yeah, so let's hold you accountable to that. Not so that's kind of what I meant to say, rather than like they're not as bad as you thought, because that's (laughs) not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's a way of 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 holding them accountable to what they're what they're trying to do.
0: I don't know what that looks like Because to me Just having Black artists in your space Is definitely not enough Like they had Black artists at the Cotton Club You know what I'm saying But that doesn't mean They let black people in there Like Mm -hmm. institutionally There's still An issue that I want addressed I'm not going to take that away I'm not going to take that away from them The fact that they have Black artists in there Because you know That is positive But this just stands to show you That it's not enough To just have black artists in there And they need to make strides To make sure that the space feels like not only that it belongs to us just as much as it belongs to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And those kids did not feel that way. I'm interested to see what that looks like to the museum. I'm interested to see what steps they implement. But um, for the time being, I need to see it. And it's what been a way,
1: week. One way of holding them accountable is to uh, talk to the donors. Okay. People like all these rich people who give them money, like say, Hey, you have the power to withhold your money or, or grant it. Okay. And if you want good stuff to be happening at this museum, you have every right to say, hey, look, this this was not okay. You need to do this mm-hmm. um, to earn our continued support. So that's one th- thing they they, uh, they can do. Um, oh, yeah. So on to what I was going to put. Yeah, pick. what you got,
0: Derek? Who are you putting
1: on? So Ben Carson. So, <laughs> so he needs some, some help and some, some grace here. So I'm really <laughs> disappointed with his... Um, interview like i saw uh katie porter really give him some tough questioning and ayanna presley really give him some tough questionings and i would i would be more gracious with him if he
0: what hold it up there hold it up i gotta plug this thing in
1: oh keep talking okay so i uh i would be more gracious with uh with him if he if he were sort of honest and cooperative in the interview if he if they would have said do you know what this is and he said you know i i don't know that i um i really need to do better at this and and you're very very right or when ayanna presley said would you let your grandmother live in this kind of housing and he refused to answer he he went she was like yes or no um, would you let your grandmother live in, in this in this type of housing? And he just ref- dodged it. He should yeah. have said, he should have said no, I wouldn't. And we need to work on this. Yep. And I loved the, the the questioning of she. She appealed to his status and fame as a physician to say, Look, would you tell me as a physician, do uh, does lack of access to decent and affordable housing impact people's health? Which is a duh answer And he didn't yep. answer He's like Well you know the answer to that <laughs> He didn't He should have said You know Yes it is We need to do better And um, And and just do that Because just dodging the issue And uh, And then go, And then with the Oreo <laughs> Did you put on a voice Just now by the way
0: When you uh, Were speaking for Ben Carson Did you put on a voice I don't recall Okay keep going Sound like you put on a straight voice Oh <laughs> Oh. Just an observation. Continue.
1: Okay. Well what the uh oh, now I'm now I'm all lost. <laughs> Sorry then. Uh, okay. So what happened Oreos, is, yeah. Oh yeah, the Oreo thing. And what he so Katie Porter said, Do you know what an REO is? And he's like, An Oreo? <laughs> she's like, No, not an Oreo. An REO. A real estate owned thing. <laughs> and these seem to be like the basic things that the the secretary of housing and urban urban development should know. should know, yeah, and should deal with because, and the point of, of both of these amazing um, uh, members of Congress was: look, real lives are affected by this. This isn't mm-hmm. just some like hypothetical thing. People live and die based on these policies and access to um, to, to to economic and housing justice is like you need to get on this. Um, and i hate to to say that we should judge ben carson by the content of his character not the color of his skin but the content of his character isn't looking real good it is not and um and and yeah and so yeah er i just wish wish he would have a little more humility um and a little more uh less pride and a little less uh Feeling trapped that you have to maintain your your legitimacy because that's what traps everyone It's, it's you think like, oh, I got to I got to maintain my appearance of wokeness or my appearance of, of whatever. Yeah. And we all get trapped. In, and this goes back to the hypocrite piece. Right? OK. And we've all we've all got a ways to go. Um, and yeah. So that's where I want to end it. We should we just hope hope the best for Ben Carson. Hope the best for Ben Carson. Pray for that dude. He won't
0: lose his job, though. He'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah. I got nothing else on that, though. So uh, are we done, Derek? I guess we're done. I guess we're done. Thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next, well, I guess this weekend. Yeah, see you this weekend. (laughs) Bye.